TikTok next block. While the crab market continues for now, we are hurtling full speed ahead towards the halving and what I firmly believe is the official start of the next four-year cycle. While events in Israel have dominated social media since Saturday, there has also been a lot of scuttlebutt about prices and whether this time is different. I want to say this sort of thing happens every cycle. The hardest time to hodl, besides during an epic liquidation dump, is right before the bull run starts. This is not unique to Bitcoin, hence the saying, it is always darkest before the dawn. However, I don't actually like that metaphor when it comes to Bitcoin right now because I see plenty of light at the end of the crab market tunnel. In fact, I don't actually like the term crab market because in reality, this is an opportunity that in hindsight, we always refer to as the accumulation phase. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, Sat Stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 11th, 2023, and of course that means it is DCA Wednesday. Before we get into all of that, as I mentioned in the intro, there has been a lot of worry on Twitter, or X, I still I still refuse to call it X, and on Reddit, our Bitcoin, etc., about, quote, why the price isn't higher. Despite Adam Back's bet that Bitcoin would be worth more than $100,000 before the halving, that would be an example of this time is different. Bitcoin actually usually goes down a bit right after the halving, probably because of the false idea that the bull run kicks off immediately after the halving. I want to remind you, so far, this time has not been materially different. We are almost exactly where we were at this point in 2019, during the previous halving cycle. And if even if you're worried about a recession, black swan, or a war as a black swan, remember, and I've said this before multiple times, a month or so before the last halving, the entire world ground to a halt. Schools and businesses were ordered to close, and people were even locked into their homes or in isolation camps in many cases. And as a result, you know, the stock market plunged and Bitcoin dumped as low as about $3,000. Uh, of course, the you know Bitcoin recovered well before the stock market did. It was it was extremely short lived, and you know six seven eight months later we were setting new all time highs. This time is only different if we don't get another black swan dump. It would seem. Before I get into any more of a rant, though, let's take a quick look at the vital statistics. As I mentioned, today is Wednesday, October eleventh, twenty twenty three. And that means it is DCA Wednesday, and this is going to be our 116th DCA stack. Currently, at the time of recording, we find ourselves at a Bitcoin block height of 811,759, and Bitcoin is ringing in at a US dollar price of $26,775, or a rate of 3,735 sats per dollar. Now, I alluded to uh, some of the scuttlebutt on social media about uh, why the price isn't higher, and uh, I even got into it a little bit with a with a couple of fairly well known Bitcoiners uh, about why I was excited that the price was low, and um, and uh, I was criticized basically saying, well, that must mean you either you either didn't go all in or or you or you dumped. Without getting into my Bitcoin journey, uh, I think uh, if you've been following me by now, you know that uh, I'm no I'm no OG. I didn't get into Bitcoin as as uh, as soon as you know Satoshi Nakamoto by any sense of the imagination, but I also got into it a little bit differently than than a lot of people. I you know I got into Bitcoin because I was interested in the uh, in the in the freedom money aspect of it. I it never even occurred to me that Bitcoin that Bitcoin might be worth a thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or a million dollars one day when I first heard about it. In fact, when Bitcoin hit dollar sat parity, I I thought that's a big deal. That was officially Bitcoin's moon. When it was on par with the dollar, uh, that meant it was being taken seriously and uh, and that that the chances of it failing, getting squashed or going away uh, were pretty much over, in my opinion. Uh, that is neither here or there, though. 
To continue on with the statistics, the current block height puts us 28,241 blocks away from the halving. As you know, the minor reward that, that miners receive for finding the next block, in addition to mining fees, is cut in half every 210,000 blocks until eventually every Bitcoin, every new Bitcoin is, is, is issued. The next halving is going to occur at block, at block 840,000, and that is currently looking like that's going to be on April 21st of 2024. That's been pretty consistent the last several weeks, so sometime probably in late April of 2024. The only thing that's really set in stone is that it will be at block 840,000. What is different this time is that this is going to be Michael Saylor's first halving and MicroStrategy's first halving. Remember, Michael Saylor had started stacking personally and for his company MicroStrategy uh, going into the epic bull run. It was significantly after, after the halving. Uh, I think, I don't remember what their average purchase price is, but it's in the $20,000 range, which up until that up until that having was higher than bitcoin had ever been uh, before so there's a lot of people out there there's there's billionaires out there in a little panned size measuring contest uh, that when they see michael Saylor stack rapidly advance him into into the ranks of some of the of one of the richest men in the world uh, that's the kind of jealousy that could kick off billionaire fomo and of course businesses especially with the change to the gap accounting procedures that let that let MicroStrategy revalue its Bitcoin holdings at whatever Bitcoin's fair market value is instead of making a market down as if they were losing tons of money, you know, based on whatever the lowest value of per US dollar Bitcoin has been since they purchased it. Other companies are out there watching, just like other nations are watching El Salvador, who's getting ready to head into their first having as well. If there is anything that would lead to, you know, a super cycle or a this time is different, if anything could jumpstart if anything could jumpstart hyper-Bitcoinization, I don't, I don't think it would be the, the ETF. I think the ETF would help more normies pour money into Bitcoin in, in, in a non-custodial way, in a manner that really isn't fitting in with Satoshi Nakamoto's vision of Bitcoin being a peer-to-peer -peer currency. Uh, but it will increase the price of Bitcoin. But what will really jumpstart hyper-Bitcoinization is nation-state FOMO. When, when Michael Saylor is vindicated, when MicroStrategy is vindicated, and when El Salvador is vindicated... Other players will see that and they will want, they'll want to join in. And that's just human nature. There's, you know, that's, that's almost as guaranteed as, as they say, death in taxes. But I digress. Continuing with the vital statistics, Bitcoin's current price puts it at a market capitalization of 522.4 billion. That is $17.9 billion less than last week, but still $9 billion more than it started the month of October at. As you know, Bitcoin's been kind of in the mid $500 billion or lower $500 billion range for months now. Obviously, nowhere near as high as when Bitcoin had a market cap of over a trillion dollars. But, you know, we'll get back there. As soon as Bitcoin sets a new all-time high, it will obviously set a new all-time high in market cap terms as well. And I know most of you, or a lot of you anyway, don't really care about market cap anyway because, you know, it's kind of a fantasy number. Obviously, if everybody dumped their Bitcoin all at once, they wouldn't. There wouldn't be five hundred and twenty-two point four billion dollars worth of sales. But I digress. You've probably heard me say that every week, anyway. So, moving on. For those of you who value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it will currently cost you fourteen point three ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. Uh, that's a little less gold than it would have cost you last week, and not because the price of gold has been moving at all. In fact, the price of gold. Uh, it's actually been following the stock market. You know, people used to say that Bitcoin was correlated to the stock market. Um, but, you know, Bitcoin's been down the last couple of days while the stock market's up. Gold has actually been paralleling the stock market. Probably because gold, you know, is mostly traded in paper form. Gold is the reason we have the current the current fiat currency that the current, you know, the current petrodollar, the current U.S. dollar, fiat dollar that is the global reserve currency uh, not because we're on a gold standard, but because gold allowed the creation of fiat currency because gold is just so hard to use as money and it's so heavy, it's so hard to transport. It's just, it's it's scarce, it's it's hard money, but it's easier for people just to put it in the bank deposit box and trade IOUs. And that's obviously what led banks to realize that if people were never cashing their gold in in the first place, they could just skip the gold altogether and just use the IOUs. And hence where we are today. But I digress. It will currently cost you 14.3 one ounce gold coins to purchase just one Bitcoin. And it isn't going to be long. 
you know, it, it might be four months, it might be five months, it might be a year. When I say it won't be long, I'm not talking about, you know, it's going to happen next week. But time marches on. It seems like just yesterday we were going into the, you know, the 2020 having the lockdowns. All that hysteria seems a lot more recent than it was. Heck, the 1980s seem a lot more recent than they than than they really were. I mean, that was that was 40 something years ago now. So um, time flies is what I'm saying. And before you know it, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin in terms of pounds of gold, not ounces of gold. So if you're a gold bug and you're thinking about getting into Bitcoin right now, you can do so for 14.3 ounces per Bitcoin. And of course, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. So TikTok next block. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,497 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is a pizza every day for more than four years, 4.1 years uh, to be precise. And that is a heck of a lot of food security for just one Bitcoin to think that you could feed a family of four every day, once a day for more than four years for just one Bitcoin. And speaking of Bitcoin and uh, and Bitcoin activity, the mempool is looking a little fuller. Well, it's basically about the same as it was last week. Last week, there were 54 blocks with the transactions pending on Clark Moody's, uh, Clark Moody's mempool. This week, it's 57, which is exactly where it was two weeks ago. So it's been kind of bouncing, bouncing back and forth between 54 blocks and 57 blocks. So basically, basically the same as it has been for a month or so, um, but still a lot lower than, you know, than at the peak of that ordinals and uh, inscriptions hysteria. Along those lines, if you intend to make an on-chain transaction, the fees are a lot cheap. Well, the fees are cheaper. Uh, even though the, the 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 number of pending transactions are are the same approximately, the fees for an immediate transaction are actually down about a third. Uh, Clark Moody's dashboard fee estimator is estimating that to guarantee your your on chain transaction is included in the very next block, you should pay a fee of twenty sats per vbyte, down from thirty sats per vbyte last week. Uh, they're saying that a fee of thirteen sats per vbyte will guarantee that your transaction is mined within a day and that one sat per vbyte will be mined within a week. Both those numbers are the same as last week. Uh, and mempool.space is actually agreeing. Their high priority fee estimator is also 20 sats per vbyte. And I want to remind you that right now that's approximately 75 cents in US dollars. And while that is more expensive than when it was less than 25 cents, uh, just what, a couple of months ago, uh, before the ordinals and transcriptions hysteria anyway, 75 cents to send an, uh, you know, as much as potentially billions of dollars anywhere in the world instantaneously with with settlement within a you know, within a handful of blocks, settlement in minutes instead of days or months is pretty damn amazing. Uh, you know, good luck going into Walmart and going to their what used to be Western Union, their money services are especially going into Western Union and wiring money to a friend in another country for 75 cents. It is not going to happen. Uh, good luck sending a wire transfer from your bank to a to a merchant in another country for for less than 75 cents and and talk about taking forever to to settle. You know, I sent a couple of wire transfers to China many years ago when I was setting up a small business before I before Bitcoin even existed. And it it took more than 30 days for the for the uh for the person I was making the purchase from the company I was buying from in China to actually receive that money and it cost a heck of a lot more than 75 cents. And I wasn't sending a whole lot of money. I mean, one of the purchases was about $10,000 or so. So, I mean, it was a lot of money. It wasn't like I was buying a hamburger, but I wasn't moving millions or billions of dollars. But I digress. Again, that transaction metric that you know I like to follow, my what had been my, pre, my favorite Bitcoin statistic for most of this podcast, Bitcoin's 24-hour transaction rate has actually declined a little bit. Despite the fact the mempool is a little fuller, currently the 24-hour transaction rate is averaging 3.5 transactions per second. Last week, it was 3.37 transactions per second. Before Taproot, before ordinals and inscriptions, I used to say anytime I saw the 24-hour transaction rate above pi, above 3.14 transactions per second, it seemed like Bitcoin price was always going up. Now, that's just an observation I've made because in the more than two years I've been doing this podcast, up until that point, Anytime on a Wednesday when we saw transaction volumes above 3.14, the price of Bitcoin had been going up. And right now, that you know, the, the transaction rate is 3.05, and the price 
has been going down. So maybe we're getting back to uh, back to that dynamic. Maybe Bitcoin is returning to normal. Maybe the wizards that thought they broke Bitcoin are finally going away. Uh, who knows? Uh, in the in the grand scheme of things, that will all be irrelevant anyway. You know, we can't even really imagine how we'll be using Bitcoin in 10 years and 20 years or how our ancestors will be using Bitcoin in 100 or 200 years from now. Uh, I'd like to think they'll be using lightning, but we don't know what we don't know. There might be something even better than lightning uh, that is right around the corner or a decade around the corner. All I know is that the underlying asset is the most is the the most versatile, the hardest, the best form of money that mankind has ever discovered. And I'm excited that we get to be a part of it because despite the fact Bitcoin's 13 years old and it's not as early as the early days, uh, we are still really early. I mean, until Bitcoin has basically become the global reserve currency or the intergalactic reserve currency, who knows? Uh, we're early. Speaking of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, uh, we are a little closer to the next mining difficulty adjustment. Last week, we had just had a difficulty adjustment, of a fairly decent one, an increase of 4% in the difficulty to mine the next Bitcoin. We're now 689 blocks from the next difficulty adjustment. That is about five days from now. It looks like it's going to be on October 16th. And um, it was looking like it was going to be a fairly benign difficulty increase last week. But now it's looking like it's going to be an increase of anywhere between 4.87% to 7.1%. 7.1% would be a gigantic increase. Not the largest we've seen, but certainly an increase that there's a lot more hash rate on the network. And that is because blocks are currently averaging 9 minutes and 20 seconds. That is zooming. That is significantly faster than the 10 minutes between blocks that the protocol is aiming for, and hence the, the mining difficulty increase that's looming. Uh, in fact, that's the fastest we've seen since all the way back in August. I think August 16th, they were screaming in at 9 minutes and 16 seconds, which is even faster. But in general, they've been a lot closer to, uh, to that 10-minute that mark. And for those of you who don't know, the difficulty to mine the next block to be awarded, the next block reward for finding a block of Bitcoin uh, is cut in half every 2016 blocks. And theoretically, that's once every two weeks. But because hash rate increases or decreases, it ebbs and flows. It's like the price of Bitcoin. It's been trending up into the right if you zoom out. But sometimes it goes down and sometimes it goes up. And as a result... The difficulty has is adjusted to, to try and aim for an, a 10-minute average between blocks. And uh, sometimes they get it a little closer than others. Uh, you know, back in August when we saw that 9 minutes and 16 seconds, that was because um, we had had a couple of big difficulty uh, changes because of the, the, the miners that were, that were taking themselves offline in Texas because it was the heat wave and they had just gone back online and that was causing transactions to just come screaming in. Uh, but I digress. Um, that is one of the more beautiful, beautiful things about Bitcoin. That was one of the more genius aspects about Bitcoin to try and keep Bitcoin consistent. Uh, and and uh, it's one of the reasons why the minor death spiral FUD that I always talk about is 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 hooey. Real quick before we continue, I want to thank those of you listening in your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain. Uh, as you probably know, by listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, you're able to support your favorite podcast through the value for value model, where you can do so in one of two ways. You can stream your favorite podcasts, a sats per minute, basically contribution, or you can smash boost, you know, boost your favorite podcast, which is a one-time tip. That's basically, it's a message that's sent as a lightning transaction. So you can give a shout out and support your favorite podcast. And we do have one shout out to read, and that is from longtime supporter Leggy, who sent us 3,800 sats and actually sounds like they're being apologetic here says thanks parentheses 4k was what's left on my wallet here well thank you leggy uh if if that was meant to be apologetic for only sending 3,800 sats by all means don't be thank you thank you uh, leggy's been a fantastic supporter of this podcast uh, besides the fact that he's sent us sats almost every episode uh, for the longest time it's really cool to know to know you're out there and uh, you know, he reached out to us a couple of times and has given us some given us some advice. Uh, let us know how to say uh, how to, how to greet someone in in uh, in Luxembourg, for example, which we'll get into here in just a second. And speaking of speaking of which, our geographic distribution of listeners, our listenership, has remained exactly the same. It has not changed since September twentieth. The top ten countries 
for listenership are as follows. Number one is the United States. So thank you to those of you listening to the United States. Number two is still Argentina. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. So Dankeschön, mein Freunds in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg. Again, Dankeschön, mein Freunds in Luxembourg. Or as Leggy taught us, Morian in Luxembourgish. Number five remains Canada. So thank you to those of you in the 51st state. Thank you. Thank, for, thank you to those of you in the, the soon-to-be-frozen Great White North. Number six remains Spain, so muchas gracias, amigos, in España. Number seven remains Colombia. Again, muchas gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Number eight is Sweden, where still nobody's reached out to let me know how to say hello or thank you in Swedish, but thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. Number nine remains Singapore, where once again, I apologize that I don't know a customary greeting uh, for those of you listening in Singapore, and I'm not asking for a boost from, from those of you in Singapore and Sweden. You can DM me on Twitter at BTC Bulletin Pod and let me know the proper greeting uh, if I were d- addressing you in Sweden or Singapore. And number 10 remains Venezuela. So again, muchas gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. And thank you to those of you listening from wherever you're listening because uh, there are, you know, those statistics continue. I only read the top 10 countries because... Uh, you know, it breaks down into 1% or, or fractions of a percent of our listenerships. And, and that's where the ebb and flow, the, the, the movement and the change and where listeners are from changes up, changes up the most. But we have listeners in almost every country in the world, and that is really, really flattering. So thank you to all of you for listening, even, even those of you who, uh, who, who haven't reached out to us to say hello. And again, you can do so for free. You don't have to send us, you don't have to send us a boost. You can, you can DM me on on Twitter at at BTC Bulletin Pod or X, whatever you prefer to call it. Or you can send me an email at our email is Bitcoin Bulletin at ProtonMail.com because I would like to hear from you. Uh, don't be shy. Let you know, feel free to let me know what you think. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Whether you love the show, whether you hate the show, what you love about the show, what you hate about the show, suggestions uh, for what you'd like to see the show discuss. Uh, I just like to hear from I like to hear from you and and uh you know, that's, I've said this before, you are why I do this podcast. I've been stacking since well before I started this podcast, but I want to provide what I hope is quality content out there for Bitcoiners. To some extent, I want to kind of follow in the footsteps of Adam Meister at Tech Vault a little bit, where, you know, he did his one Bitcoin show where he gave basically daily affirmations to help people hold those strong hands, especially in a time right now during the crab market, during the accumulation phase where... Uh, it seems like, you know, sometimes even the seasoned veterans start, start, start getting a little, uh, start getting a little doubt, start letting some of that FUD creep in. And it's just nice to have someone there. It was really nice to have Adam there every day, just saying, Hey, we're one day closer to an all time high. And some of his other strong hands, long-term thinking type, type slogans that, that he would remind us of. So to some extent, that's why I'm here. And also I want to help you orange pill your friends and family. Maybe I will bring up something that you haven't heard about a a piece of news or uh, you know, maybe something new about the technology behind Bitcoin uh, that you can help to not just keep your hands, you know, rock solid, but maybe help orange pill a friend or family member. Of course, the crab market is the absolute hardest time to orange pill family members and friends. And that is really unfortunate because it's the best time in my opinion uh, to start accumulating before the bull run kicks off because you know, it seems like everybody wants to swallow the orange pill after Bitcoin has blasted through its previous all-time high. It was really easy to convince your friends to buy Bitcoin when it was $60,000 per coin. But, you know, if they'd purchased when it was 15000 a couple of months ago, you know, that or, or even now at $25,000, uh, that's, when, that's when they're going to, you know, feel the reward, uh, the feeling of uh, vindication that they're going to feel one day when Bitcoin is, you know, the global reserve currency and, and worth who knows what in, in terms of current fiat value. But, uh, you know, in the in the short term, now everybody always says you need to hold Bitcoin for at least one cycle. And I say you need to hold it basically forever, but really a minimum of one cycle, because unfortunately, most people don't buy at the low. They buy in the hype and then Bitcoin does its thing and it goes down and they and it, it's really really tough on them to ride out that cycle without selling when they're looking at, you know, a loss of half of their, half of their, what they look at is half of their investment value. Of course, one Bitcoin always equals one Bitcoin. They still have the same number of Satoshis they purchased, but human nature is they look at it in dollar terms or Euro terms or peso terms, and they tend to get downhearted. So 
I'm rambling a bit here, but um, this is the time, this is the most important time to help Orange Pill your friends and family when they can see the immediate benefit of the next halving cycle, the up and to the right, as opposed to having to tough out the next cycle's bull run, the next cycle's crab market, when they're down 50% or so. As I said right before the stats, this cycle that is coming to an end and has had its fair, it's, it's had its fair share of black swans. It's almost silly to even use the term black swan because there's so many of them and a black swan should be a, not just something you couldn't have seen coming, but a once in a generation type event. And let's not forget, we had the Luna debacle, the Celsius debacle, the BlockFi debacle, and then the granddaddy of them all, the FTX scam. Those were all huge hits to the psyche of the Bitcoin community, huge black eyes for you know Bitcoin in terms of the eyes of the normie crowd. You know, they, they followed... Uh, they, you know, they, 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 they caused basically huge price drops because of algorithmic trading, basically liquidations, etc. People that deserve to get wrecked for, you know, for being degenerate gamblers mostly. But, you know, when those, uh, when those longs and shorts get liquidated, uh, you get those cascading price drops and, you know, we sure had a heck of a price drop after the FTX bankruptcy. Well, the FTX debacle is front and center again this week as the SBF trial continues Despite the media simping for SBF all last week, as you remember, the I, I spoke about the news stories talking about how, you know, basically trying to portray Sam in this great light as this gentle giant of a of an intellectual that, you know, he had a great idea. And the only reason FTX failed is because, you know, because of the bank run. And of course, that's all BS. And the trial is laying that completely bare. Today was the second day of Carolyn Ellison's testimony. She was in charge of Alameda the hedge fund that was basically taking all of the FTX customers' money and gambling it or giving it away, paying bribes to the Chinese officials, as we now know, you know, attempting to influence U.S. politics by making huge political donations, buying naming rights to sports stadiums, etc., all with customer money. And, uh, and now, from Carolyn's testimony, we even know that SBF had even wargamed how it would all collapse one day, and, he, and it basically he, his... Predictions were that it would happen in a manner that mirrored exactly what would eventually happen. I have a hard time believing he set this whole scam up knowing it would come crumbling down because it's that that's just really hard to fathom. I mean, why anybody would 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 set out to go get arrested, basically. Uh, I honestly think that he I have a lot of experience dealing with I have a lot of experience dealing with manipulative individuals, a lot of criminals that. My experience tells me that regardless of how smart or dumb uh, they are, one thing, one theme was ran through all of them. And that is they always thought that they were smarter than you or that they could talk their way out of getting, you know, getting charged with a crime or having to answer for a crime. It's why you see uh, serial killers want to represent themselves in court because they don't think they need an attorney. They think they're the smartest person in the room and they're going to be able to convince everybody that that they're innocent, talk their way out of horrific, heinous crimes. And to some extent, I think that was probably the case with SBF. I think he wargamed the collapse so he could help plot a strategy on how to get out of it if it did. And we saw that with his political donations and with his testimony where before, before Congress, where he was basically asking for Congress to erect a wall and make it difficult for you know new F, new exchanges uh, to to get into the game to where basically he would be protected. There couldn't be a bank run on his on his pyramid scheme because. There wouldn't be anywhere to go. He was he was trying to set up a moat, you know, trying to set up a walled garden like, you know, like Facebook uh, and uh, and the tech giants are trying to do. Or even like Walmart does. You know, you often see the, the news reporting that there's some new Consumer Protection Act and Walmart and these big retailers are all for it. And therefore, it must be good. It must be great for the little guy, right? And that's complete BS. The reason these big companies are for regulation is because they're big companies. Regulation means nothing to them. They have a building full of attorneys and accountants somewhere. So to apply with, you know, to, to comply with, with new regulation is just another day in the office for them. But if you're trying to start a new corner grocery store that might one day turn into a Whole Foods or a, a store that might one day want to compete with Walmart, you don't even have to be want to be as large as Walmart. If you just wanted to sell custom shoes, you're competing with Walmart because they're so cheap they used to be open 24 hours a day prior to the lockdowns. And just the convenience and the cheapness factor of cheap crap on demand uh, was putting quality bomb and pop shops out of business left and right. And that is why they wanted regulation. And it's why FTX and why Sam Bankman-Fried were simping 
we're 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 campaigning for regulation. We're basically bribing politicians to create regulation that they knew would give them an advantage. Oh, but I digress. All right, I'm I'm only going to touch on the horrific events that happened in Israel because, you know, naturally there are those who are using it to attack Bitcoin. Social media is already uh, already just horrifically conflicted with with people uh, upset about uh, what happened to Israel or upset about, uh, you know, you have libertarians who are, or, or, or not necessarily even people that are drawing a moral equivalency between Israel and Gaza, but people are saying, well, just because what happened in Israel, we don't want to see more innocent people killed. And, and everybody has their point. And I'm not, I'm not for a minute going to minimize what happened to Israel. I think, I just think other people have said it better than I could say it. And I want to try and keep this podcast focused on Bitcoin because it's a Bitcoin podcast. Unfortunately, this Israel thing touches on Bitcoin because people are already trying to turn this to a political advantage to attack Bitcoin. The Wall Street Journal, for example, has the article uh, titled Hamas militants behind Israel attack raised millions in crypto. The disgusting article continues, Hamas's lightning strike on Israel last weekend has raised the question of how the group financed the surprise operation. One answer, cryptocurrency. Okay, as usual, this is utter nonsense. And as usual, the utter nonsense is projection because it isn't Bitcoiners that financed any of the terror attack on Israel. For example, according to the United States government's own numbers, according to the State Department's humanitarian arm, the International Development, the U.S. Agency for International, International Development, the United States has given Gaza $400 million, more than $400 million on various development projects in the Hamas-controlled territory since 2009. An article in freebeacon.com expands upon this. When President Joe Biden took office in 2021, the United States began pumping millions into the Palestinian territories, including the Gaza Strip. America has spent at least $5.5 million in Gaza that year alone. In mid-2022, the article continues, the Biden administration announced an additional $316 million aid package for the Palestinians, including projects in the Gaza Strip. And between 2021 and 2024, the Biden administration is slated to spend, and this is, this is, uh, I guess this is a running tally because it was looking at, at funding that will continue through next year, but uh, I can, the article continues, the Biden administration is slated to spend over $500 million in programming to support the Palestinian people. So that $400 million figure... They're planning on spending $500 million in addition to the $316 million that they've already spent. And least we not forget that on 9-11 of all days, the Biden administration gave Iran $9 billion. Uh, and we all know, in fact, they've taken credit for being Hamas's primary funding source on numerous occasions. And many people feel this is all about trying to drag the United States into a, you know, another, another proxy war, a war between Iran and Israel. And again, I don't want to talk about the disgusting things that happened. Um, but what I do want to say is, F you, Wall Street Journal, for trying to make this about Bitcoin. You know, they say cryptocurrency, but we know what they're talking about. Uh, they, they want to lump, they say cryptocurrency on purpose. They don't, they don't say Bitcoin because they know cryptocurrency is a smear. They know that's Bitcoin. Not, they know it's Bitcoin, not crypto. They know Bitcoin is the only not, the only non-scam out there. They know everything else is just an S-coin. But by lumping Bitcoin in, that's part of their takedown smear, you know, the smear campaign against Bitcoin. So screw you, Wall Street Journal. Screw you to any of the politicians who want to politicize death and destruction. Uh, and screw you for trying to, to use it to further oppress people by trying to take away their right to transact freely through Bitcoin or as they refer cryptocurrency. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that, to quote Forrest Gump. But we are going to continue along the FUD narrative because... I've mentioned the looming minor death spiral FUD that you're going to have shoved down your throat as we get closer to the having. Every time there's a having, the FUD spinners come out, the FUDsters come out of the woodwork and say, this time, this is going to kill Bitcoin because by cutting the miner award in half, you're going to bankrupt all the miners and that's going to slow the block time down and that's going to make the miners even more unprofitable and that's going to bankrupt even more miners and Bitcoin's going to grind to a halt and that's going to be the end of it. And this BS has been proven wrong every having every ha every having they've trotted this out especially at the last having and of course it didn't come true and one of the reasons it won't come true is because miners are not idiots uh, 
They know that the halving is coming. And this time around, one thing that is different is companies like Riot, for example, by by entering into those agreements with ERCOT, those power sharing agreements where they agreed to turn off in exchange uh, for energy credits when demand was high, their demand response agreements, it has been reported that Riot has enough energy credits from shutting down to help out the Texas energy grid that they basically won't have to pay for any electricity at all in 2024, or at least the first half of 2024. So for example, even though, or to make this crystal clear, even though the price of Bitcoin, or not the price of Bitcoin, the reward in Bitcoin that uh, Riot will be receiving will be cut in half, their energy costs basically are going to be free for the first half or the first part of next year because of those energy credits. So um, they're going to be mining Bitcoin essentially for free. Uh, and so that is something that's absolutely genius. They helped the people of Texas out. They prevented blackouts. They prevented, you know, the situation we had a couple of years ago during the ice storms where Texas is without power for weeks. People were freezing to death in Texas of all places. And uh, they've allowed, you know, they've, they've allowed excess capacity to come online and to be there when it's needed. And by shutting off, allowing that power to go uh, prevent blackouts. And that's, that's fantastic, but it's also another way miners are going to help survive the halving. Of course, the other way that miners survive the halving is because shortly after the halving, Bitcoin sets a new all-time high. So, for example, during the 2020 halving, going into the halving, Bitcoin is worth about $10,000. So when when the miner reward was cut in half, let's say uh, the Bitcoin, let's say you had $10,000 of the Bitcoin as the reward, and that's an oversimplification. But let's just say that number was $10,000. Because the, the reward was cut in half, they would now have $5,000. And of course, they didn't. They went from six point, you know, six and a half Bitcoin to 3.25 Bitcoin. But just to keep it simple, let's say they went from $10,000 in rewards to $5,000 in rewards. But then Bitcoin went up to $60,000, which was 6X. So if you 6X $5,000, all of a sudden their reward was effectively $30,000, which as you know, is more than $10,000. So after just a couple of months, lull, less than a year, all of a sudden, not only were they still profitable, they were more profitable. They were making record profits. All this is to say is I believe the powers that be know they cannot stop Bitcoin, but they think they can manipulate it, or at least they think they can manipulate you. They know that Bitcoin runs in these four-year cycles, these demand shock cycles, and I believe, at least some people in power, believe that if they can just knock the top off the bull run a little, it just if once every four years when Bitcoin's getting ready to go on that, that euphoric phase, if they can just FUD you a little bit, if they can have just one black swan type event that they can hype on, that they can they can use to, to nip the top off to keep Bitcoin from launching into the stratosphere, that they can at least delay the inevitable or that they can, maybe they're even so deluded to think that they can actually even prevent hyper-Bitcoinization altogether. And uh, I think that's what they're doing with the, part of what they're doing with the minor death spiral FUD. And they're already setting us up for this. I think they're, I think they're, I think shortly after, the, I think they're setting us up that for like the day after, maybe even hours after the halving occurs, they're going to be trotting out the headlines. See, the halving cycle theory is dead when the price of Bitcoin doesn't immediately soar after the halving. They're basically paving the way with the looming recession means that this time is different with all these FUD articles for why this time is different. All these FUD articles for why they say there's not going to be a bull run inspired by the having, And so the second the having occurs, they're going to be trotting out the see, I told you so fully knowing that the, you know, that the bull run doesn't kick off to, for six months to a year after the having. In fact, uh, usually after the having, the price dips a little bit. And that's probably because, you know, they convince people that the, the price is going to just immediately springboard to a new all time high on the day of the having. Naturally, that doesn't happen. You know, price discovery, the free market, it takes time to settle on the fair, the fair value of a, of a good or a service. And so just because you cut the supply in half doesn't mean, you know, that that, 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 that isn't going to take time. And traditionally that takes six months to a year. For example, we didn't breach the previous all time high until about December 20th of 2020. Um, and that's when Bitcoin, you know, it was kind of funny because previous to the 2020 having Bitcoin's all time high, it's been rounded up to 20,000. It was really in the teens, but a lot of people just say $20,000. So 
The first time it passed $20,000 was on December 20th. And then the next day on December 21st, it was 21. And then on the 22nd, it was the 22. And the 23rd, it was 23. And on Christmas, it was 25,000. And that was particularly amusing because like the price was corresponding to the day of the month almost. And so that's one of the reasons I remember it so vividly. But, you know, Bitcoin didn't set a new all-time high until six, almost, well, till six or seven months uh, after after the halving. And it didn't set its ultimate all-time high for more than a year after the halving. Uh, and that's just the way it works. So don't expect a new all-time high in April of 2024. Don't expect to eclipse the previous all-time high until the, maybe the fall of 2024, Thanksgiving or Christmas of 2024. In my opinion, if Bitcoin's, if Bitcoin's price history repeats or rhymes, we won't break $69,000 until... You know, sometime around Thanksgiving or Christmas of 2024, maybe even later. Uh, and that's just normal. If, uh, if you know, um, if the people that have made the predictions that Bitcoin will be worth 100000 or 50000 or or whatever um, by the end, 50000 by the end of this year, or 100000 by the halving uh, come true, then then that is that is when this time is different. And then then who knows, maybe maybe this time will be different and maybe we will launch out of the four year cycle into the super cycle. I don't think that's going to be the case. Every year is a little different. You know, even twins are a little different. No two children are the same. No two bull runs are the same. No two historical events are the same. So, of course, there will be variations, and I fully expect that to continue as long as there is a halving. Um, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. I would be happy to see hyper-Bitcoinization completely uh, get rid of the four-year cycle. But even during a even during a uh, an early adoption of the you know, hyper-Bitcoinization, let's say we achieve hyper-Bitcoinization in 2030, uh, well before the last halving. Um, even if the whole world is using Bitcoin, if the supply of Bitcoin that's on the markets, the ability of you to get Bitcoin to 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 use on a day-to-day -day basis is cut in half, you know, that's going to affect the price of Bitcoin. All right. Last word on the FUD is that Bitcoin is unstoppable. Regardless of what you hear, regardless of what they say to try and scare you, I believe Bitcoin is inevitable. Bitcoin, if you zoom out, is always up and to the right. And, uh, and and I think they know it. I think they're just trying to delay the inevitable. Congress, for example, won't pass a budget. They won't balance the budget in the United States. And they know their pet programs will collapse one day. They know they're driving the country into the ground. And they're not doing anything about it because that one day is far enough down the line. They don't care. I think they're doing the same thing with Bitcoin FUD. I think they're just trying to kick that can down the road, hold on to their power as long as they can to enrich themselves because that's ultimately what it's all about when it comes to politicians. Speaking of uh, fiat and the economy, uh, the news that's affecting the markets most right now, even above and beyond the looming war in the Middle East, is uh, that PPI, the producer price index, came out higher than expected. But markets still went up because everyone is expecting CPI to come out lower than expected. Well, let me explain what the difference is to you. PPI is producer price inflation. That comes before consumer price inflation, which is CPI. That is because PPI is the cost to make the goods and the things that you purchase. And if it's getting more expensive for people to manufacture the goods that you're going to purchase, eventually those costs get passed along. You know, if it's more expensive for McDonald's to sell you a Big Mac, they don't necessarily increase the price right away, but eventually it's coming. And so uh, PPI is a leading indicator of inflation, and both those numbers are, are complete fiction anyway. But um, for people to be reveling that, you know, like <laughs> like the, like Paul Krugman, the moron that that was touting the end of inflation just last week with his cockamamie term, long transitory. See, I told you inflation was transitory. It was just long transitory. Uh, well, yeah, the rising PPI is is proof that that is not the case, that inflation is here to stay. If you're old enough to remember the 1970s, and I don't really remember the 1970s, but let's just say that uh, inflation took a decade, and it wasn't that inflation kept going up. It, the, the inflation number wasn't just a steadily, steady increase for 10 years. No, inflation ebbed and flowed, but the consistent thing was it was always there. Prices never got cheaper. They just stopped increasing in price for a little bit, and then they would have another surge, and then they would have another surge. And, uh, and we, there were a lot of parallels between now and what was happening in the 1970s. You know, back then we had President Jimmy Carter, who was in some ways almost a spitting image of where, of the president we have in office now, although Jimmy Carter didn't have dementia and at least knew who he was. 
I like to say the difference between Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden is that Jimmy Carter was was genuinely a nice guy. He was an idiot, but he was actually a genuinely nice person. And that's the difference between Jimmy Carter and, and Joe Biden. Nobody's ever called Joe Biden a genuinely nice guy. All right. On to why we're here. And that is because, once again, today is Wednesday, and that is DCA Wednesday. And what is DCA Wednesday, you might ask? Well, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is... Uh, I, just, I just thought of one more thing that I wanted to bring up um, before I get into our, our DCA stack. Uh, there is some interesting news out there that just broke within the last day, uh, or at least it's just been widely circulated within the last day, and I'm not really super well-versed on the, in the specifics about it, but you may have heard about BitVM, and BitVM is basically Robin Linus's attempt to uh, bring smart contracts to Bitcoin, to bring Ethereum-style technology to Bitcoin. He claims he can do it without even a soft fork. I don't care. Um, this is neither a good thing nor a bad thing for Bitcoin. Do what you want to do on Bitcoin as long as you don't change it. Bitcoin's use case is not to be a world computer. Bitcoin does not need to compete with Ethereum. Bitcoin's use case, well, it's Satoshi Nakamoto said it in the beginning of the white paper. Where he entitled it a peer-to-peer electronic currency, and that's Bitcoin's use case. Uh, it's freedom money. It's unstoppable, uncensorable, uncensorable, unconfiscatable, unincorruptible, inflation-resistant money. And that's all it is. So if you want to play around with uh, with smart contracts, knock yourself out as long as you don't try and change the code to do it. Uh, ultimately, I don't think it has anything to do with Bitcoin's use case, which is to be the reserve currency of the world one day. Uh, whether it's electronic gold, whether just banks are trading it and we're trading on second layers, whatever happens, that's, that's Bitcoin's value proposition. All this other stuff is just noise. Um, but I don't know enough about the specifics about what they plan on doing and whether they can really do it without trying to fork the technology. If they can do it without so much as a soft fork, then knock yourselves out, guys. Maybe something cool will come out of it, but it has nothing to do with Bitcoin's core value proposition. All right, back to our DCA stack. As I mentioned, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging, which is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 116th stack. We've been doing this for more than two years. We started uh, investing our equal portion, which was $20, at a regular interval, which was every Wednesday, all the way back on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. And so far, stacking just $20 with a fiat at a time, we've stacked a total of $2,300 worth of US dollars, including $51.75 in fees, and that has accumulated us a stack of 7.9 million Bitcoin, more than 7.9 billion Bitcoin, 7,989,000, oh, 7.9 million Bitcoin. Holy cow. That was a slip up. Wow. <laughs> There's only 21 million Bitcoin that ever going to exist. 7.9 million sats, uh, 7,989,489 sats. Uh, currently we're underwater on that a little bit where average purchase price is now been $28,788. So we're, we've, uh, we've, if you wanted to sell, if you wanted to panic sell, you would, you do so at a tiny bit of a loss right now. But the upside is there are two upsides to this. First of all, is we built that 7.9 million stack of sats, $20 at a time. So for those of you out there on Reddit or Twitter asking if, you know, I only have $20, I only have $50, I only have a thousand dollars. Is it too little? Is it too little too late? You're not too late. It's not too little. Get off zero investing just $20 of US fiat a week into Satoshis. We've built a stack that will one day be probably more than the average middle-class person in the world could afford. Uh, it, it's going to be a decent stack of a decent stack of, of Bitcoin, it, only $20 a week. And even though our average purchase price is $28,788, had we YOLO'd in, our average purchase price would be $39,716 we'd have more than 2 million fewer sats. In fact, we'd have like 2,200,000 fewer sats. And that stack uh, is, if Bitcoin goes to a million dollars one day, would be worth more than 79,000 US dollars. And that's a heck of a lot more than, you know, than the $500 or less that the average American has in savings. So 
Uh, to that end, I think that experiment has been a success. To continue the experiment, we're going to use the Cash App. Cash App is not a sponsor of the show, but I've used the Cash App all 115 stacks because I think it's the easiest way to stack Bitcoin, at least in small amounts. They do charge a fee of about two and a quarter percent to stack your Bitcoin. So if you're going to stack more than $20, if you're going to stack large amounts, if we're talking thousands of dollars, then do your own research. Maybe you'll want to find an exchange that charges you a smaller fee. But if you're stacking small amounts like me, uh, that two and a quarter percent fee is negligible. That's going to work out to about 45 cents. And in exchange for that, Cash App is going to let us transfer our Bitcoin to our hardware wallet without a minor fee. So uh, we're going to spend 45 cents on here or there on a couple of purchases. And then when we have a little bit of a stack, when we move it to our hardware wallet, we're going to do it for free. And that'll save us, you know, that 75 cent or dollar fifty or whatever in mining fees. So it all comes out into the wash is what I'm saying. I've got the Cash App open on my phone. And I already have $20 on, on my Cash App because um, I also use the Cash App for, for sending money back and forth to family members. So I already have $20, but you don't have to. That's one of the other cool things about Cash App is they'll let you link a bank account or a debit card to Cash App and buy and transfer your Bitcoin immediately. Something else most exchanges don't let you do. If they let you transfer money immediately, they won't let you buy Bitcoin and then send it to your hardware wallet right away. Or they won't let you buy Bitcoin at all for a week or so until, until that money has settled. All this is to say, do your own research. You do you. Cash App might not even be available where you are. If it is, however, there is a referral code in the show notes. And I, I believe the current offer is if you use that referral code, you'll get $5 for free for signing up. And the podcast will get $5 for that referral as well. So you can help support the podcast and actually get paid to do so. Instead of boosting us, you can uh, tip us five bucks for free by signing up for Cash App. There's some, other, uh, there's some other referral codes in the show notes as well. None of those are sponsors. Everybody that uses those services gets their own referral codes. So they are not sponsors of the show and they do not exert any influence over me. But if they're uh, services that you might be interested in using and you want to help support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the referral link and uh, and actually get paid to help support one of your hopefully favorite podcasts. All right, as I mentioned, I've got the Cash App open. I'm clicked on the Bitcoin icon and I are the Bitcoin. Uh, I've clicked on Bitcoin and I have $20 preloaded and I'm gonna tap on buy, manually enter $20 because sometimes that's one of the choices you can just tap on, but sometimes it is not. Right now it would be 25 and we're gonna be consistent, right? So entering $20. Tap and confirm. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 73,025 Satoshis. And that makes me really happy. I to, to harken back to the argument on Twitter or the discussion on Twitter on X that I was involved in. Uh, I really am excited when the price of Bitcoin is down because we just purchased uh, 3,000 sats more than we purchased last week for the same amount of fiat. And if Bitcoin had gone up, if Bitcoin had kept going up into the right, if Bitcoin is worth $100,000 by having, by the having, we're going to stack a lot fewer sats before, before that new all-time high. And the goal is not to have a fiat equivalent. The goal is to have more sats. And now we have 73,000 more sats for just $20. And that brings our total stack up to over 8 million sats. We've crossed the 8 million sat mark. Our total stack is now 8,062,000. 464 Satoshis, and it also dropped our average purchase price down just a little bit. It shaved $12.68 off that average purchase price. So our purchase price, our average cost basis now is $28,775.32 for those of you who care. Yes, that's worth, you know, that's, that's more than what the US dollar value of Bitcoin is currently worth, but significantly less than what it will be when we just retake that all-time high. And when, when hyper-Bitcoinization hits one day, uh, you know, right now people say, I wish I could have bought some of that $3,000 Bitcoin, or I wish I could have bought some of that $1,000 Bitcoin, or that $5 Bitcoin, or that $1 Bitcoin. One day people are going to be calling you lucky for having purchased, you know, at an average purchase price of only $28,775. And if Bitcoin doesn't even hit hyper-Bitcoinization, if it just, let's say the million dollar mark is your moon, if Bitcoin does hit $1 million, that stack would be worth $80,624.64. And I, if you're Michael Saylor, that might mean nothing to you. That might be lunch at a super fancy restaurant or, you know, a gasoline for your yacht. But for the average person out there, even for the average American or the average European, the average person living in a wealthy country, 
$80,624 sitting in your savings account somewhere uh, would be life-changing for a lot of people. And for the billions of people around the world uh, that don't live in the luxury that you live in in the United States or Europe or other developed nations, uh, $80,000 would be unfathomably, unfathom, unfathomably rich. Maybe not billionaire status, but enough to live off of for the rest of their lives. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because we're going to keep adding to that stack as long as people are willing to send us Satoshis. And hopefully they were willing to send us, sell us Satoshis for under Adam Back's $100,000 per Bitcoin estimate, at least until the halving or six months after the halving or longer. And uh, and before I go, again, I know I've already asked you to reach out and follow us on on Twitter, but on Twitter or X, Reminder, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. Even if you don't want to DM me and tell me what you think about the podcast, please consider following us on Twitter because we are not a blue check mark. We do not subscribe to Twitter. And, you know, even more so than ever before, Twitter is starting to throttle people that are not subscribers, that are not paying to play. And one way around that is to have subscribers. And the more subscribers we have, the more influence we can have, and hopefully the more orange people we can the more people we can, orange people, the more orange people, the more orange citizens we can, we can bring in, the more people we can help orange pill and the more people we can help accumulate Bitcoin before ultimately everyone has to start using Bitcoin because they have no choice. But you want to be one of those people that got in before that point. Again, everybody gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve, but we want to help people get it at a, at a, the lowest price possible. And you can help us do so by following us on Twitter. Either way, we will see you next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we grow that stack of Satoshis together. Until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>